What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. I'm certainly glad that you have taken the time to join us this week, whether you are watching or listening, wherever that may be, I'm grateful for you. Before we get started this week, I have a request, um, a favor I'd like to ask of you. We have a uh, friend of mine here at the church. He is also a member of our leadership team who's going in for open heart surgery this week. So if you could pray for him, uh, I would be grateful. His name's David. And um, yeah, pray for his family, pray for the church. And we would be very grateful for that. Um, Welcome to week two of our series, What's in Your Hand? And we're looking at a few different Bible characters throughout this series to learn principles and traits um, that we might share in common with them and apply in our own lives as Christians. Last week, we started with Moses, and it's from his story that we gain inspiration for the title of this series. When God asked Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses answers a rod, and that rod would uh, later go on to become a symbol of God's power and authority. God uses who Moses is with what he has, where he's at to carry out his purpose. And it's my hope that we might be inspired uh, by the things we learned through this series and apply them in our own lives. And the way to do that is to, of course, look at scripture as we always do. And to kick off today, we're going to read Romans chapter 7, verse 19. And this is Paul and something he says there. He says, for the good I desire to do, I do not do, but the evil I do not want to do is what I do. Um, talking about, you know, there's these things I want to do, but I end up not doing them. And then I end up doing the things I don't want to do. And as Christians, we are constantly working to capitulate ourselves to God's will for our life. And the word capitulate means to cease to resist, stop fighting against it. Because there is usually friction between our will and God's will. And I think a great paradox of Christianity and Christian life is that as believers, we want to do what God wants us to do. But yet at the same time, we very often don't do what God wants us to do. And when we look at scripture in an honest and unadulterated way, at least as much as we are able to do so. We always bring some uh, culture with us and some bias with us when we go to the scripture. But when we do it in the most honest way possible, we find there are things about who we are and what we do that are out of alignment with who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. And maturing as a Christian means working those things out as God works through us to become more of who God wants us to be. But even when we do our best to 
live our lives as Christians and serve God, uh, we still sometimes make a mess of things. That's just a reality. Failure is a reality of life, but it's not the end of life. And God doesn't abandon us when we fail. And the best thing we can do when we fail is to repent and get back onto the path that God has for us. And today, our character study is King David. Um, David before he was king as well, but King David. And he did a lot of that. He often fell short of God's standard, but when he did, he was repentant. And then he would get back to the path that God wanted him to be on. And the scripture that we're going to start with talking about to David today is from Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, one that you might be familiar with. And it starts with uh, Acts 13, 22. It says, when he had removed him, and that's, that's referring to King Saul, and then David's coming along after that. But he says, when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, saying, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will fulfill my entire will. And in this passage, the context is that Paul is speaking in a synagogue and he's given a brief history of the nation of Israel from the time that they were in Egypt to the time that they wandered in the wilderness up until the time that Jesus uh, was in Israel. And he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching how Jesus suffered and died on the cross, how he was buried and he rose again the third day. Now, our verse is in the middle of this discourse and Paul quotes God as saying, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will fulfill my entire will. And God calls David a man after his own heart. And many of us have heard that before. And that's obviously a good thing to be called. Um, but we might wonder what that means. What that means is that David loved the same things that God loved. That's a pretty simple way to put that. A man after his own heart means David loved the same things God did. And you can see that in David's life. He, he loved God. He wanted to follow his commands. You know, And even when David sinned, he was always repentant. He was quick to repent. And then he would get right back to living in God's will to the best of his ability. And today we're looking at some commonalities that we might share with David and how those things worked out in his life and think about how they might also work out in our life and then learn from that and apply some some godly principles. And some of these may not apply directly to you, but most of them probably will. David is a prime example of the struggle we talked about between what we want and what God wants, the struggle between my own will and God's will, the friction between those two. And most of us as Christians, most believers, we love what God loves, but we don't always act like it. Paul definitely talks about it being a struggle for him, but he doesn't really give us much in the way of examples of that in his own life of what that looked like for him. But David's life, on the other hand, is full of examples, just one after another of that friction between God's will and his will. And throughout his life, we see strength, we see weakness, we see success and failure. David was flawed. Uh, he sinned, but he still loved God. He still loved the same, same things that God loved. He, he just sinned and he 
did things wrong. And that makes him relatable. And he also has this tremendous range of life experience. Uh, he was a king in Israel. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a poet. He was a musician. David wrote the majority of the Psalms. And he wrote many of the Psalms inspired by events that were happening at the time that he wrote the Psalm. And his whole life is on display for us to see and learn from. His whole life is recorded from the time he was a shepherd boy up until uh, his death as an old man. And because of that, we see that David is another person just like you and me, burdened with a human nature. And of course, he shared our sinful nature as well, but he also loved the things God loved. And in his life, like every believer, there was often friction between the two, between his own will and God's will. And I think with as much as we know about David and his failures and his sin and his shortcomings, we can all find encouragement and hope in the fact that God refers to David as a man after his own heart. Um, that that's what concerns God, that we love the things that he loves. And when we do sin and fail, we repent and get back to doing that again. It's a principle we share in common with David. And there's another principle we share in common with David, and that is the consequences of choices we make and our moral responsibility. You know, every day we are faced with a multitude of choices. If you had to sit down and think about it, you face so many choices from, you know, you wake up in the morning and you hit the snooze or you don't hit the snooze. You think about what you're going to wear. You make a choice about that, a decision. You decide what you're going to eat. Um, and there, there's all kinds of decisions we make every day, in and out choices that we really don't put a lot of thought or effort into um, because they're not that, are that important. But there are also some decisions that we make that are quite important. And they do matter very much. And from the life of King David, we are given a stark reminder that choices matter. Choices have consequences. The choices we make matter. We're free moral agents and God holds us accountable for our choices. And that's part of the human experience. We all share that in common. And we read multiple times about when David was faced with moral choices. And when he chose immorality, there were consequences for the immoral choice. And that's true for everybody. The consequences of his choices not only affected him, but they had a significant impact on the lives of the people around him as well. And the story of David and Bathsheba is one example of that. David sinned with Bathsheba. In Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, David's army had gone out to war. For whatever reason, David had stayed behind and he's out on the roof one night and he sees Bathsheba. She's taking a bath and he's faced with a choice at that point. He could go back inside, you know, take a cold shower, whatever he needed to do. But instead, he lingers on the roof and he decides to have Bathsheba brought to him. And he makes an immoral choice. He later finds out she's going to have his child. And he tries to cover that up. And in doing so, he only makes things worse. But because of his choice, both Bathsheba's husband and her child end up dead. 
And of course, David suffered through that, certainly, but his choice also brought suffering on the people around him as well. And you can imagine how Bathsheba felt through all of that. But after this is this episode with Bathsheba, that's when David wrote Psalm 51. You might want to make a note of that and go read Psalm 51, uh, knowing that that's the time that David wrote it, bring some uh, color to it and maybe uh, help understand the context a little more. We all share in common with King David the fact that our choices have consequences and we bear the burden of moral responsibility. And the greater your responsibility, the more far-reaching the consequences of your choices. And you can see that in David's life. You can also see that in modern day life. Um, If you take someone like Robbie Zacharias, for instance, who many people love and supported for decades. Uh, He's well-known all over the world. His ministry received between 30 and $40 million a year in donations, very well-funded. His ministry was huge. But after his death, it came out that he was doing many evil and sinful things, immoral things behind the scenes. And... There was sexual abuse. It was, it, yeah, it was just awful. And his ministry will always be saddled with the consequence of that now. That's his legacy. You know, he's, he's gone now. But a lifetime of what looked to be a great ministry was destroyed by his moral decisions. And there were many people involved in that ministry. And, you know, some through prayers, some through support. There were many people who were employed in that ministry And his decisions wrecked a lot of lives. Uh, The ministry has had to change its name. It's downsized dramatically. Uh, 60% of the employees lost their jobs. Uh, They no longer do apologetics. Um, That was one of the real strong points of that ministry. Uh, They've taken down all of Robbie's content, which, you know, there was a lot of good content there. It was great stuff. But what do you do with it now that that is his legacy? Um, David, you know, he sins with Bathsheba. That's recorded forever. And people have been reading about it for millennia and will continue to do so. And hopefully we can learn from it that our moral choices carry consequences. But even in that, there's still hope, even when we do do something immoral, sinful. There's always still hope for the servant of God who's repentant and turns back to God. That's certainly a reality, but it's always best to make good choices rather than suffer the consequences of negative moral decisions if you're able to do that. But there's always hope in repentance and God's forgiveness. And we see both of those in the life of David. You know, we see consequences. We see, you know, David made some good decisions too, of course, and there's good consequences that come along with good decisions. Um, As a boy, David started out um, with an agricultural background. He was a shepherd, and his experience as a shepherd helped shape him into what he would later become. And it was during that part of his life that David began to learn to trust God. And we meet David when he's anointed by Samuel as the king of Israel. And that happened at a very young age. And it wasn't very long after that that we come to the one of the one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And most people 
most people know the story of David and Goliath. It's pretty familiar. I've heard it used um, as a pop culture reference for overcoming difficult circumstances or self-reliance or things like that, which isn't really what the story is about. But this is a positive story about David's courage and his bravery, but there's also more to it than that. And in the story, God uses who David is, where he's at, what he has to accomplish his will. And David is going up against the Philistine named Goliath. And I'm going to read a description of Goliath from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, verses 4 through 7, so you can give an idea of what this guy looked like and what David was up against. It said, There went out a champion from the camp of the Philistines. Goliath was his name from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Now, the weight of his bronze coat was 5,000 shekels. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer was walking before him. Now, to get an idea about how big Goliath was, a cubit um, is about the same length from the tip of your middle finger to your uh, elbow. And a span is about the width of the hand, and they use the the king to determine that measurement, and that's what they use as measurements. Um, so Goliath is a he's a big fella, taller than I can reach. Probably his armor weighed almost eighty kilos. Um, you multiply that by two point two, and you'll have what it was in pounds. But that's like carrying me around on your back all day. Well, I'm I'm a little more than that, but not much. And his spearhead alone weighed almost six kilos. And that sounds kind of ridiculous um, that he'd be that big and have armor that heavy and all that stuff. But if you've ever watched like the World's Strongest Man competition, um, I've watched a fair bit of that stuff. You can watch it on YouTube, whatever. But um, when you watch those guys, this story of Goliath seems like, well, that seems a little more feasible. But either way, Goliath was not someone to be taken lightly. He's a warrior. He's he's a huge man. Obviously, he's going to be very powerful, strong. And Goliath, he gives a challenge. And he says that if any man could fight him and kill him from Israel, the Philistines would surrender to Israel. But on the other side, if he killed whoever was brave enough to come out and fight him, then Israel would have to surrender to the Philistines. And along comes David. And he hears what's going on. He's probably around 14 when all this happens, somewhere 13, 14, 15, around that age. And he found out King Saul was offering a big prize to whoever could kill Goliath. And he was offering a lot of money, which is nice. And whoever killed Goliath would also get to marry his daughter. And so that's a pretty good deal. You know, you'd become very wealthy and part of the king's family all in the same day. You know, you move up the, the social ladder very quickly, be wealthy, it'd be, it'd be great. Of, of course, the whole, you know, Goliath thing has to be dealt with first. And David says to Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And in that statement, you see a lot of courage and bravery. Now, to be fair, being a 14-year-old teenager may have had a little bit to do with that, um, but 
Saul, you know, he's not as confident as David was, but David says to Saul in 1 Samuel, um, he says, David said to Saul, your servant was a shepherd for my father's flock and the lion came and the bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and struck him and delivered him, delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I took hold of his beard, struck him and killed him. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them because he has reviled the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Now, apparently that is enough to convince Saul to let David have a go at fighting Goliath. Um, David takes his staff in one hand and his sling and gathers five smooth stones and he goes out to fight Goliath. And as the story goes, he kills Goliath with his sling. And then he lops Goliath's head off uh, using Goliath's own sword and he carries it back to Jerusalem Bridge around town. David was obviously courageous and brave, but as you read the story, you learn why he is. When David goes out to fight Goliath, he says, God will deliver you into my hand. So David's courage and his bravery is fueled by something more than just self-confidence. And to illustrate what we're talking about, that 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 fuel that's more than just self-confidence, I want to talk about anger for a moment. And it wasn't anger that fueled David. That wasn't the case. And it seems like a little bit of an odd example, but I think it will help illustrate the concept of what we're talking about. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. It doesn't stand alone. Anger is the result of something else. When someone is angry, there's something underneath the anger. It may be sorrow, it may be pain, but anger is a product of something else. And David's courage and bravery it's not its own thing. It's a product of something else. And there's something underneath David's courage that produces it, and that is trust. It's trust. David trusts God, and that's what makes him brave and courageous. And it's not self-confidence. It's not self-reliance. Um, it's trust. You know, you could call it faith too. Very similar trust, faith. Um, David has confidence in God. And because of that, it sets him free from doubt. And that's why he's so confident and courageous when he goes out to fight Goliath. He trusts God. And faith, trust, courage, they're all very closely related. And they are all freedom from doubt. That's what they are, freedom from doubt. And I think this is one of the very best examples of a very well-developed sense of trusting God and it's only at the age of 14 that David has this. And there are some different elements involved in trusting God. And we can learn about a few of those from the life of David. We use words like trust and faith a lot, and we can become overly familiar with them. They're kind of Christianese almost. Now, to refresh our understanding today, let's call it freedom from doubt. We're not talking about blind faith or blind trust because that's just dumb. Freedom from doubt grows and it is built on previous experience. 
And as we grow and accumulate experience, trust becomes easier and more second nature. We gain freedom from doubt as we experience God working in our lives. And in David's case, he talks, when he talks about his past experience, he says, the Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. So David's walked down this road before. This, is, this isn't new territory for David. He's, he's been here. He's seen God do similar things. And that experience of what God has done in his past frees him from doubt when he goes up against Goliath. And we all have a past. We all have some degree of past experience that can help set us free from doubt in the same way if we rely on it and think about it. Another consideration in this is how God uses who David is, where he's at with what he has. What, you know, what did David have in his hand? You know, Moses had a staff, David had a sling. Now I grew up as a farm kid and I was very blessed. I had a lot of room to run, spent a lot of time outside. I spent most of my time outdoors. And everywhere I went, I was always throwing rocks. And when you're able to do something that much, you get pretty good at it. And I got to where I could generally hit what I was aiming at when I would throw a rock. And one day I was standing by the front door of the house and there was a little glass window in the shop. It was quite a ways away from the house, but it was far enough to uh, throw a rock. Um, But there's this little glass window and it wasn't much bigger than like a drink coaster. And I just happened to have a rock with me and I thought, I wonder if I could hit that. And I was maybe 10 or 12 years old when I was doing this. And I pulled back with my rock and, and I, just as I was letting it go on my throw, my mom walked out the front door and caught me doing that. And sure enough, you know, I, I wished I would have missed, but I ended up hitting the window. I broke it. And unfortunately that didn't go well for me, but you know, I just say that you think about David, you know, as a, as a kid and he was probably, you know, out there herding sheep, 10, 12, 13, 14 years old. And he'd been wandering around herding sheep out, you know, in, in the uh, wilderness and bored most of the time. He would have been slinging rocks all day long and he would have gotten very good at it. And when it comes time for him to fight Goliath, you know, what does he have in his hand? Well, he's got a sling. Moses had a rod, David has a sling and God used what they had where they are. And he used David's experience. If you are willing, God will use what you have where you are, including your life experience. What do you have in your hand? Something to think about. What do you have in your hand? You know, what have you done over the course of your life? What is your experience like? Even if it's negative, it doesn't mean that God can't turn that into something useful and good. How can God use you to serve him with what you have, where you are? And one last point before we finish up, and this is one we all struggle with. Um, to get beyond our inevitable doubt in whatever situation requires that we make a decision to trust God. When it comes to doubt or trust, one is going to win out over the other and that's what's going to direct your actions. And you decide which one is gonna be. With less experience, it's more difficult to make a decision to trust. Trust goes over, grows over time. And that's true in 
any relationship, initial trust is difficult. The more experience we have to draw from, the easier it becomes to trust God. And I think that is a factor involved for many people when it comes to taking that first step of repentance and trusting Jesus. Initial trust can be difficult, but that's the first step for every Christian, trusting in Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross. Trusting Jesus, that's the first step. That's how you become a Christian, trusting God's word when it tells us we are sinful, that we need a savior. And the way that you know that savior is through repentance and faith, turning away from sin and putting our trust in Jesus. And then God can build on that. But to know him, that has to happen first. And I hope that you do know him. And if you don't, you always can. You can always pray wherever you are. Recognize I'm sinful. I need a savior. You can repent and turn to God and accept that free gift of salvation that he offers, that free gift of eternity with him, of reconciliation with him. And I hope that you will. Until next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. Oh, that's good.